Everybody and welcome back to another episode of 30 Flirty and Surviving. It is Tracy. New episodes come out every Monday at 9 a.m. on Apple, iHeart, and Spotify. You can follow along with everything going on at the show on Instagram at 30 Flirty Surviving. And also check out a couple extra bonus clips for those of you who like to watch on YouTube. Thanks for joining. Great to see ya. And um, so last week on the show, guys, we had Sylvia come on, who's a financial advisor, and she was really here to give us the lowdown on all things investing. But of course, there's a lot more to that topic and the topic of money than just investing. We have a lot of other categories to think about, and I wanted to really give her the time to discuss all of that and then give you guys another episode to get into everything else that nothing felt rushed and we had plenty of time to cover everything. So I have with me another financial advisor. Her name is Jen and we are going to be discussing a lot of budgeting and talking about debt and making sure all of you 30 year olds out there, 30 something year olds out there or even late 20s are able to feel confident when it comes to managing your money. So Jen, welcome to the show. Thank Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited. I stalked you on Instagram, found you. She was like, who are you? Why are you contacting me? But then you were such a good sport. Yeah. We got on a call right away, right away, and we talked about it. It turned out great. Sometimes sliding into the the DMs is the best way to meet someone new. So, That's right. I kind of was like, "Hmm, is this a spam text coming through? And what is going on?" But I'll reply and see what happens. I will. Thank you for doing that. I'm so happy you're here. Also, if you guys are watching this, you might notice, or maybe when you see some of the social media clips, but Jen and I have arrived in the same exact Exact outfit outfit. today. We are both in the ripped jean, black turtleneck, black boot gang today. So if you're wearing the same thing, holler at your girl, but you know, you know, I mean, you can't go wrong with a black top. Never. I think black is my wardrobe. So just same. My my closet my closet's color coordinated and I have it going from like the reds and orange and yellows to like black. the black but like Just my entire yeah <laughs> it's like I had to like dig all the way to the left to get anything that's like color the majority of my closet is just white black and gray oh yeah that's it yeah if any event comes up and somebody's like oh we all have to wear pink for this I'm like oh my gosh I have to go shopping yeah you have to go buy something new exactly (laughs) there's nothing like that on standby I feel you (laughs) so I obviously gave them a little clue as to what we were going to be discussing today but before we get into all of those fun money questions I like to start with fun, regular questions. They can get to know you a little bit. Icebreaker. Yes, some (laughs) icebreakers, like we're at like a day camp or something. I love it, I love it. (laughs) So if you wouldn't mind humoring me, my first question to you is, where are you born and raised? So I grew up in Northbridge, Massachusetts, so south of Worcester, most people 
have yeah. no idea where Thank it's you for from. explaining that. <laughs> Central Mass. <laughs> okay, okay. And where do you live now? I'm in Newton, Mass. Okay, awesome. Right outside the city. Do you get to work from home? I do get to work from home. So everything is virtual now, and that's kind of the plus of COVID that did come out is like, it just it makes it easier to jump on a call with someone. I know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Seriously, there was a lot of negative that came from COVID, but that is definitely one yeah. of the major benefits, the major oh, yeah. pluses. How old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I am 32. Okay. I keep pretending like I'm 30. I just love the 30s. <laughs> I know. I'm like around up, around down. Like I'm 31 right now. I'll be 32 soon, but like 31 yeah. feels weird. So yeah. I either say I'm 30 or 32. I either go up or down, yeah. but I know what you mean. Sometimes it's just give it a nice yeah. even number. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is your zodiac sign? I am a Leo, but I'm the cusp of a Leo. So I'm end of July. So I, it's like, so I have Leo tendency. Like I do lean toward more towards a Leo, but I also am like a little on the cancer side. Like so that emotional. Yeah. Yep. Do yeah. you cry at like, <laughs> I was going to say like, <laughs> what are those like Super Bowl commercials where they always have the, um, those horses? Do you know the what horses, like the Budweiser horses yeah, or the, like the golden retrievers that come oh, in yes. and you're just like bawling your eyes. Yes. Like, I need a golden retriever. I remember <laughs> years ago they did one and it was like a car commercial too. And they did the girl leaving to go to the army. And like when she was little all the way up until that point. Yep. And then at the end, her dad cried. Yep. Tearing Forget up right it. now. It's if just, I see <laughs> a guy cry, I'm bawling. I'm a puddle. Don't talk to me. I need 24 hours to reset. Yeah, so I, I respect that. I respect that. Cancer's a good sign. Very nurturing, very maternal, very sweet and empathetic. It's you, all, everything you want a financial advisor, right? Ex I mean, I don't want a cold, hard <laughs> bitch in my financial advisor, right? Like, I, if she sees my stupid purchases, yep. I feel like you're at least going to be able to reason with me and be easy on me a little mm -hmm. bit. So that's a, oh, yeah. that's a huge plus for me. No judgment. Selling point. Thank God. <laughs> There's a lot to judge, so I appreciate that. What is your relationship status? I just celebrated my six-year wedding anniversary with my husband. Holy smokes. Yeah. Six years at 32. That, like, you guys... We got married young. You got ahead of the mm -hmm. game. How long had you been together prior to that? So we were engaged for a year, dated for a year, and... Well, sorry, lived together for a year and dated for a year before we moved in together. So it was like three years before we had actually wow. got married. Yeah. So you're nine years in. Yep. Total. Yeah. Dang. Did yeah. you guys meet in school or right after we, school? So we did go to the same college together, which was great. We had the same friend groups, did the same things, but we actually didn't meet meet until we had graduated and we're completely out which I always say I was like that was the best thing that ever Thank happened God, for us right? because we were two totally different people in college seriously you yeah. finally graduated and then the real world real, yep. real we were world adults hits we had, and it's yeah. like yeah it wouldn't have worked if you had met in college you guys got to kind of so. like meet yeah. in a different setting but you had that common bond that's really cool it's yeah. really special congratulations on your Thank six years you. I know it flies and it's also one of those things where like Six years, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it just depends on the day. Yep. If yep. he's put his clothes in the hamper or not. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then my last sort of like little fun question, since we are talking about money today, I'm curious mm. if you can recall what your first quote unquote big girl purchase was. So I my big girl purchase where my mom was finally like 
hey, this is something like we're not going to buy for you. Like you have to work for it. Yeah. It was actually a flight to go see my best friend who had moved away Aww. in seventh grade. So I had gone to Texas to go see her. But in order to go there, my mom was like, you have to go like work and do your do your thing and save up for it. Where and, were you working in seventh grade? Um, I was babysitting. I was hustling the babysitting game, which turned out to be like a great side gig throughout high school, college, everything in life. Um, it's been really wow. good. Wow, yeah. that's super impressive. But it was like a $500 ticket and I looked at that and I was like, oh my gosh, like mom, just pay for it. But she made me pay for it because it wasn't in She's her budget. She's yeah. that work ethic in you yep. from an early age. Way to go mom. Yeah. Jeez. That's super cool. <laughs> At the time, I was like you. very harsh. I was like, really? Come on. Yeah. Just like my best friend moved away. Can you just pay for the flight? <laughs> she probably was like, well, she'll never do it. So I'll just, yep. yeah, if you can pay for it, go ahead. And then she was like, oh, shit. Yeah. She's going, I guess. I'm guessing yeah. sending my little girl on a plane. Yeah. Wow. That's so exciting. I'm sure a trip of a lifetime. One to remember. It was fun. We did San Antonio, Texas. And now it's just put that like travel bug in me for the rest of my life. <laughs> See, it was meant to be. I love that. Okay, now let's get into you. Yeah. So we had the pleasure of chatting on the phone prior to this. So I know a little bit about your backstory and I Mm. think it's really cool and really special, but I would love for everyone at home to learn a little bit about your behind the scenes origin story. So, because finance wasn't originally part of your plan. So I think it's really cool to see how you got there. Why don't you start by telling them where you were in school and then how it kind of led to this? Yeah, so I have school background of construction management and then switched into a marketing and business development role. Um, Kind of was just like floundering a little bit. And was like landed in this marketing role that I was just really hating. And I was like, how do I get out of this? How do I just you know, get to the next step in life and figure it out. And I felt like finance was like, that was what was holding me back. Like Mm -hmm. I was like, I was stuck and, you know, in that paycheck routine of like living for the paycheck and I couldn't leave. And I was like, well, how do, how do I get good with money so that I can leave this role? And, um, that kind of like sparked this journey of like, well, who do I talk to? Who do I, you know, have a conversation with that can help me figure out like, where are areas of my life that, you know, I'm not being great with money or is it investing that's going to get me out of this? Or and it just felt overwhelming at first. And I say it to everyone, if I can be in the financial world and do the investing thing, anybody can do it. Cause this was never in the plan. Are you sure about that? Um, <laughs> I am so sure about it. Once you get into it and once you understand it and once it becomes easy, it just becomes this like, freedom and this ability to communicate with money and talk about it in a way that feels just more relaxed and easygoing. So the hard part was, is like when I did want to get into finance and like talk to a financial advisor, I was really struggling with finding someone who would actually talk to me. That's Um, crazy to me. Yeah. I was in debt. I had a car loan. I had credit card debt. Um, I was basically living paycheck to paycheck. I wasn't a high income earner at the time. I was making like $50,000 a year. So somebody looks at that and they're like, you know, no thanks, ma'am, like you move on. So it kind of left me to my own devices of like, well, how, how do I get out of this rut? And it just ended up being this journey of like, okay, let's figure it out. And in the time I was like, all right, 
this is my next career move. And it, I did, I loved it. I loved every second of it. I loved learning the foundational pieces of how to manage debt, how to pay off debt. I think a lot of millennials are kind of in this place where it's like, what do I do? Do I invest or do I pay off debt? Um, I'm a high income earner, but I love to travel and be in, you know, skiing on the weekends and buying luxurious things. It's just, it's a lot to manage. And it goes back to a lot of emotional things that we weren't taught growing up. So true. First of all, huge round of applause to you because I think it's very rare where somebody finds something that they don't know a lot about or are kind of intimidated about and then decide they're just going to dive into it head first. You took your sort of fear or lack of knowledge of the finance world and decided, okay, well, you know what, then I'm going to learn it. I'm going to make this my career because very, very, very few people actually do anything like that in life, but to never mind actually make it their day in and day out. That's yeah. really cool. That says a lot about you. I was really determined to get out of that job, I think is what put the fire <laughs> under my butt. I was That'll like, do it too. <laughs> I was like, definitely do get it. me out of this role. It was miserable. And I think a lot of people are in that position too, where it's like, how do I quit this job that's mm -hmm. not satisfying and is putting me in a position that's not mentally good. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly relatable. And it's also very relatable that like you want to start somewhere and you, you, I know, right. Like I need a financial advisor. I know that that's what I should be doing. It's, it's going to be great for me in the long run, but then you keep getting hit with, oh, you don't make enough or like, oh, you know, we have to, we don't have, you know, the, enough time to bring on somebody new or whatever it may be. And you keep thinking like, okay, maybe I haven't quite made it yet. Maybe yeah. I shouldn't be looking into this right now. We've all sort of like been in that, that sort of, even if you haven't asked the question and gotten that response, you likely haven't asked the question because you're afraid that's what they're going to say to you. Sure. So I really admire the fact that you are trying to change that narrative and trying to make it more accessible because the truth of the matter is, I do feel like this time in our lives is that turning point where, you know, you, you go from those like 50K, 60K jobs to all of yeah. a sudden you're making like, you know, I'm not like crazy money, but it's like you're, people are making like their six figures and like low six figures. And it's like, I'm making enough that I probably should start figuring out how to manage this responsibly. But instead we're just blowing it all away or letting it sit in a savings account when it's not doing anything for us rather than actually like asking the questions because we're sort of afraid that people are going to think that we're silly, you know? So it really is the right time and we need more people like you. So thank you so, so much. But I'm curious for you, like what was the process like to actually make this shift from, I mean, obviously you wanted to learn more about it. You knew that you had your own sort of finances to look at and your own little debts to look at. How did you, did you have to go back to school for it? Did you have to take classes? You just sort of no. so in? Yeah, the cool part was, um, I did start saving at that point. I was like, if I'm gonna leave my career, I need to have a savings account to kind of balance out because yeah. I didn't know what even, you know, a salary in the financial industry looked like, and I had certain bills I had to meet. So that was kind of the the transition point. I nannied through a lot of that too, in the transition where I left my job and I went to go work in the financial industry. And it was 
So you don't have to go back to school, but it's a lot of certifications, mm-hmm. courses you have to take, ethical kind of classes just to make sure, oh, yeah, you know, sure. like the SEC puts a lot of like regulations in place to just make sure that you, when you're handling people's money, um, that you're doing the right thing. And it was really cool because you don't have to go back to school. So it gave me the opportunity to kind of learn on the job. And what I did was I was started interviewing a lot of different companies that I wanted to work for and the type of person and financial advisor that I wanted to be. And that was kind of in the space of, yeah, I want to help people get off the ground with their finances. I want to help them like explode and take it from like, yeah, I'm a high income earner, but I don't have wealth yet to, yeah, I'm a high income earner and I have plenty of wealth that I can do whatever I want with. I like the sounds of that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now let's sort of pivot into the meat and potatoes, the, the good stuff, the questions that I think a lot of the audience and the listeners will have. But I wanted to kind of paint the field a little bit. I think that most people, when they're coming to a financial advisor, and you and I sort of talked about this, likely have a specific goal in mind. It could be probably one or the other. Either they have no idea where to start or they have a very particular place where they want to start. So let's assume that they have a particular place. And would you say more often than not, that sort of falls into a certain group of categories or buckets when people, in terms of like their financial goals and what they're looking for when it comes to finding and having a financial advisor? Yeah, so I think a lot of people come in thinking like, I just wanna do this. I want to pay off debt and that's like their only goal or (laughs) I want to start investing and that's their only goal or I just need a freaking budget and that's like, I don't know how to manage my money. Right here. Yeah, (laughs) all of us. And I think the cool part about the way that I've structured my business too is like, I don't wanna just deal with investing or budgeting or paying off debt. I wanna deal with it in a holistic way. And that's where most financial advisors should be focusing on is we should be focusing on all the moving parts, everything going on, taxes, when you get a bonus, when you get a raise, when you get married, how to do things, how to manage things. It's, it is, it's every piece of our life. Money touches literally everything in our life. But there are certain advisors that definitely do focus like strictly on you know, investing and that's really all they wanna do is they wanna focus on taking a certain amount of money and investing it. Yeah. Or you know, if you're purely just looking for like help managing, helping managing like a budget and stuff, that's more like a financial therapist of like helping really like focus on that side of like, Where's my money? I heard about a financial therapist. Wow. Um, It's something that's new and there's not a lot of them out there, but I have a few if you need one. Um, Interesting. But they're definitely working through like a lot of the emotional like spending triggers and why aren't you saving and why are you doing these things? So that's kind of the opposite route you could go as well. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that kind of puts a lot of things into perspective for me because that it makes a lot of sense hearing you say that everything sort of interlocks with one another and overlaps with one another like of course getting myself out of debt would have a lot to do with like my spending habits and Mm. my and my budget so of course you kind of have to look at everything all in one place to be able to figure out a, a game plan for yourself I'm curious though like when it comes to figuring out if you 
need a financial therapist versus advisor versus what direction you need to be focusing on. What are some of the questions that, you know, while people are shopping around, figuring out who they want to work with, what are some of the questions you recommend that they ask or that they usually ask, whether it, you know, be... Well, so money in general is such a taboo topic that we're not like asking our friends like, hey, can you tell me a little bit about your financial advisor and how you work with them? So like it's this unknown like cloud up in the air of like, how do you actually work with a financial advisor and what does that actually look like? Mm -hmm. So some of the questions I would very much put at like the top of your list is how do you get paid? That is like the number one trigger point that I will say like, yes, you can continue like having a conversation with this person or like, let's go find someone else. Do people, if you don't mind me asking not to like cut you off, but mm-hmm. like, do they get paid different ways? Yes. So okay. not all financial advisors are created equal. <laughs> um, okay. There are pretty much, there's three like top ways that they can get paid. So one is called an asset under management fee. And that is basically you come in with a hundred thousand dollars. They will take one to 2% of that hundred thousand dollars that they're going to manage for you. Okay. Usually you need to have assets for them to even take you on as a client because they don't make money if you don't have assets. Makes sense. The second way is a commission advisor or agent. Uh, They only make money if they sell you specific products. So they get commissions, they get kickbacks. I would run faster than you could imagine from a commission agent. Because you feel like their best, your best interest wouldn't be. They're going to be pushing you into the products that they get paid for. So even if it makes more sense for you to pay off debt or start an emergency fund, they might push you into investing faster than you is what really is going to make sense for you because mm-hmm. they're not getting paid by telling you to like, hey, yeah, just keep your money in like a high yield savings account right now. Yeah, They're going to get paid if they actually push you into an investment product. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And the third way is a fee based or fee only kind of retainer style. And that's basically, hey, my fee is you know, $2,500 for this amount of time or $5,000 for this service. And you're paying them directly out of your checking account. You know exactly what the fee is. They're not getting commission. They're not getting kickbacks. And you don't have an, a specific amount of assets you have to, you know, walk in the door with in order to work with them. So that's kind of the goal for most people that, you know, are starting out. They're looking at somebody that's more of a retainer style or an hourly fee. What do you ever get pushback from people like with the retainer style? I don't know if that's how you operate yeah. or not, but I I guess one of my first questions would be, well, are they really going to work as hard as possible? Because at the end of the day, they're going to get paid their flat fee no matter what. Like I understand why those mm-hmm. other options may not be the best for say me or anybody or whatever, because they might have ulterior motives. But then how do you ensure that if like they're getting paid that flat fee, no matter what, that they're really optimizing your money and making your money work for you? Or if they're just like, oh, doing the bare minimum. Yeah, I think that's all a part of the interview process and making sure that you feel comfortable with the person that you're going to work with. I mean, in my contract, too, it's like, here's my flat fee. Mm -hmm. It's $5,500 for a year. We meet once a month. I'm doing this on the side. If you have questions or things, I'm educating you and guiding you out Mm -hmm. throughout the year. I also say, like, if you feel at, at month six that you're not getting the value, I'll end the contract. Like, it's no, like... See, I feel like that is like all I would need to hear yeah. is because then you know, like if if 
I'm not trying to keep you like and and I feel like that shows the pure intentions that you have and it gives you that sort of trial period too in a way I mean yes you're signing a contract but you know that at the end of the day if it's not working out or you find something that you think is better quote-unquote you can always leave no one's trying to keep you there if it was the opposite that would make people think like I don't know, like, what? why do I have to stay here if it's not working out for me? Yeah. Um, I love that there's that sort of, like, you're not really tied to this long term. Yeah. I do say, like, it's nice to have the contract in place because it is one of those pieces where it's accountability. Yeah. I've had people, like, they're like, well, I just want to try it for a month or two months. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not going to get the results you want, no. like, after one or two months. And it puts so much pressure on me to be like let's try and like I want to hustle and make sure that you get the most out of this, this two months but like if we have 12 months to work through all the ups and downs of life like so much happens in a year nothing is gonna you're not gonna yeah. see any change and it's like even if you look at like Thanksgiving and Christmas like the spending goes up and like mm-hmm. how do we manage that and how do we look at that on an annual basis to make sure you just like you're putting a little bit away every month to yeah. save for that or do you really want to be saving for you know an exor- like extreme Christmas, like, or is that something sure, is a that priori- the best use of your money? Right, no? like maybe it's not a priority, and you're just making it into something. So, like, can we talk through these like phases of the year that are coming mm-hmm. up for you? So then, with that potentially like one year contract or you know continuing or ongoing contract, what do the touch points look like? You know, do you yeah. can you reach out at any time? Do you have scheduled meetings? When do you guys touch base? So I have once a month, it's a scheduled meeting where it's literally us following following through on action items. We're looking at spending plans and like, you know, how much, I'm gonna say it, the dirty word, budget. (laughs) We're looking at your budget, what happened? Like, where did money go this month? We're really just reviewing, you know, 401ks and investments Mm -hmm. and educating you on like how to set up and structure everything that you have in your life. And then I always say like, those half hour calls like mid month to checkpoint, you know, the first couple of months are nice. Cause it's like stuff does come up and you're like, wait, what do I do with this? Yeah. But it, again, it's like one of those accountability things. Like it's once a month is just so nice. Like make time for your money. It's like a nice little money date that we have together. A money <laughs> date. I like that. That's really cool. Yeah. And it's really nice to know that sort of your accessible at any point, you know, yes. so that when questions come up, there's already that space created where they can come to you and know that you'll answer, you're available, rather than feeling like they have to, like, set up a whole new meeting or a whole new thing. Like, you can, they can shoot you an email. They can, like, they can call you on a whim, and you can help them, obviously, like, within your schedule and when you're available, but it doesn't need to necessarily be so formal, too. You know, it can be a quick question about something in particular and hopefully get, you know, a, a, a quick answer. Yeah. I I always say like some meetings are sexy and fun. <laughs> others are not so much, but like, it is just a nice, like, I think it, having that person where you can like rely on them, like I'm a part of your team and that's yeah. what your financial advisor should be. You shouldn't be like having to fill them in once a year on everything that happened throughout the year. Cause you're going to let things seep through the cracks. And yeah, I'm sure that's where a lot of people go wrong is when they push it to the side and sort of yeah. forget about it for a while. Yeah. So that's what I, like I say, sometimes it's like 20 minutes, sometimes it could be an hour and a half. It just kind of depends on where you're at and what's happening in life. But I think it's nice to just be able to have those 
those points in life where you're like, yeah, I'm just making time for my money. Like Mm -hmm. it controls everything in my life. So, you know, putting it as a priority. (laughs) Okay. So other than how they're getting paid, it makes sense to maybe ask ask about a contract process or anything like that. Anything else that you think is really important to ask your financial advisor upfront before choosing who you want to work with? I think you also want to make sure that they have good referral partners for you as well, like mortgage brokers, real estate agents, people on their team that they work with regularly, that it's not going to be you going out and trying to find your own team. Like they're building good relationships with people that are going to be able to say, yeah, I have a great CPA that fits your specific needs because I have, you know, five vetted people Mm -hmm. that have been like been working with me and have been working with clients in different situations. So I think that's really important too. Very helpful. I love these questions. You talked about budget being the dirty word. We joked around about that (laughs) on our call when we were chatting. I'm curious. Like, I think a lot of people are going to relate to that. I sort of cringe up when I hear the word budget. But I'm curious from your perspective and having worked with, you know, several clients over the years, why do you think that the word budget makes people so uncomfortable? Because there's a difference between having a budget and being on a budget. And if you think about that it, that is there, a mic drop <laughs> moment. There is a difference. That's so freaking true. Because having a budget is just like, yeah, I love spending money on shopping. And I like my health and wellness budget is like $1,500 a month because I freaking love love I love working out mm-hmm. I love going to the spa I love taking care of myself I love get you know it's just yeah. that is my I love my health and wellness budget but being on a budget for health and wellness is completely different meaning I'm restricting myself mm-hmm. from spending on this area that I really love spending money on that's so true and I just don't there's not always that sort of clarification it gets those two forms of having and being on get interchanged quite often. So it all gets lumped into this like negative connotation of that, like budget means you don't have the money or like you're limited on your spending rather than being smart about how much you want to allocate for that one thing. Yes. Most people associate budget with restrictive. Mm. It's not going to allow me to spend my money. So what I usually do is I will say like, let's take budget and let's reframe it into a different word. We go with a cash flow plan. We go with a spending plan. We're turning it into something that's fun and exciting because Mm. so much of the time we've been associating budget with something negative. And sometimes it's just easier to take it out and say, you know, like budget doesn't exist in my vocabulary. (laughs) With love to be able to say budget doesn't exist in my vocabulary. Yeah. That sound, there's like a lot of power in that. So and it much. really changes the narrative and the perspective on it because it doesn't, it, in reality, whether you have a budget or you're on a budget, you're only setting yourself up to be in a better position in the future. Yep. So at the end of the day, it shouldn't be such a negative thing, but it's just that word choice, which makes it seem like it's more within your power or your decision versus a decision being made for you in a lot of ways. Well, I mean, I even grew up with it. It's like, we can't afford that, we're on a budget. Yeah, oh yeah, Uh, Like, absolutely. I don't wanna hear that in my, like, you know, when I go to do my budget, I don't wanna, like, I I honestly go to, I can't afford that. 
I don't want to have that feeling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's, I know, I feel like even like my girlfriends, it's like, let's do a girls night in instead of like going out tonight, like I'm trying to save money or like I'm on a budget. And it's like, you're not really, but you just know that you like don't need to spend $150 on dinner and drinks tonight, you know? And it's kind of like this, it's like, they could if they wanted to, right? But they're choosing not to and they're being responsible. So it should be looked at as this really like, beneficial thing in this in this smart thing this decision that we're making but it like feels almost weird to say because you're not sure how people are going to think about it it feels icky it does (laughs) it does wow you just like blew my mind i i change it up change the wording up and it'll give you so much power like girls night out hey we're you know Mm -hmm. what's our spending plan look like for this (laughs) i don't know (laughs) tracy stop ordering three bottles of wine for the table that's our spending plan okay spending plan does not include three bottles of wine tracy (laughs) (laughs) understood sure 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 so then kind of playing off of that i don't know if we've already like we've kind of been dancing around it. You tell me if you think that we've answered it or not, but I'm curious, like what are the challenges that people have when it comes to limiting their spending or quote unquote being on a budget? Do you know, like what are the, what are the most like frequent things that people are kind of running into that make it difficult for them? So I will say social influence is the biggest. Yeah. Feeling like you have to keep up with friends and family around you to appear like you have some sort of status. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, buying the new thing, you know, saying yes to the travel, not saying no to the three bottles of wine when you're out to dinner, like those kind of like things. like over me like a dark cloud now. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, and it's hard. It's hard to feel like you're putting yourself into a place where you're making other people feel awkward or, you know, guilty or shame. Like there's a lot of emotions mm. that come up as you're, yeah, saying I'm sticking to this plan. Like no one, wa- it's hard to like speak up in those moments. Like it, I can't afford three bottles of wine, but then everyone else is like, oh, that sounds so great. And you don't want to be that one person that sort of like goes against the flow. You're the buzzkill, yeah. quote unquote, you know, or not to be um, so like what, like pun intended, right? But like it, it people like, get nervous to be, to like speak up. And then there becomes this like shame in it. And so we just don't. But then again, if you really look at it, three bottles of wine at dinner is unnecessary. And it's all of this like one up, like, oh yeah, I can afford this. Oh yeah, Mm -hmm. I can. But nobody's really talking about like the underneath stuff of like, hey, like, no, I can't. Like, this is my salary and like, I'm gonna go over budget this month or like, it's really not a priority for me or we can have fun without this Mm -hmm. Um, or let's find something else to do. I think that's something I've seen a lot of. It especially happens with like weddings and bachelorette season. I see a lot of clients like spending excessive amounts of money on something because they can't say no. Girl. Yeah. I'm sure you know. I'm sure you've been I've there. Been Every girl the is going to be at that point at one at one time in her life where you go through it's like wedding after wedding after wedding and it is. It's bachelorette and bridal showers and the, and then, you know, the dress, the shoes, the this the that. It is very expensive to yeah. be in a wedding and it's a very difficult position when you can't necessarily 
spend everything that they're expecting you to spend because if you if you if you don't you look like you're not supportive you're not happy for her and it's yeah. so far from the truth but we like when did bachelorettes turn into an entire weekend and then like they need to be out of state or you know you need to go away it's gotten to be in a, a whole entire yeah. production it's flight plus hotels plus dinners plus by the time you're done it's two thousand dollars for a weekend truly and then you have three friends that are getting married in the same year <laughs> i know i need someone to like i mean i'm sort of out of that and luckily my friends are it was not like that crazy but there it's it's the more like the back to back to back that sort of adds up yeah. and it's just one of those things that again you have to sorry but quote unquote budget for like yep. if you do have to travel and get an Airbnb and you have to you know you buy the decorations and this and the, that that's taking away from potentially like the vacation you wanted to take that year and I think that's more it's like you said like less about being able to afford it but you might have to come out of something else Other areas yeah yeah and that's sort of the hard part but but man so much money weddings are tough weddings are tough they are. It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot. But yeah, I think I think you're right. I think I think the speaking up becomes it's hard for but a lot it's of people. Worth it. And I think once you realize that like if you can just like slowly incorporate it into the conversation of like whether it's just how much you're making or you're trying to save for a goal or something simple that starts to get people more comfortable with also speaking about it, mm -hmm. you'll realize that everyone else is pretty much in the same situation as you. Yeah. They're it's, just waiting for someone else to say yeah, it. Yeah, so and it's to. like, oh my gosh, you you are saving too. Like that, me too. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I remember when I like we would go out to restaurants and I was like, you know, what? I like I'm saving for a wedding right now. You know, I'm just gonna have a water and my dinner. And like, if everyone's okay with it, I'm just gonna have a separate bill. I just mm -hmm. don't like. And people were like, oh my gosh, like we're all in the same boat. Let's just like take it easy tonight. Right, like you could just sort of start this whole like phenomena if if you just, just spoke it, up. It just you realize that everyone else is in the same boat of like, yeah. okay, I don't want to, I don't want to feel bad splitting the bill, but I don't want to pay for someone else's, you know, yeah. four or five drinks. Yeah, luckily I will say too, like the older that we're getting, like with maturity comes that understanding too. So if you're in that position, I think at our age, yeah. it's less of that like nerve of how are they going to respond or what are they going to think about this because yeah. when we're younger it's kind of like very carefree no responsibilities the older we get every if they're not in that position now they've been there at one point or another so yeah. you are met with that understanding a lot more easily than you probably were in the past but wow I just got like PTSD just thinking <laughs> about this so in your opinion let's like do like a little like role play situation okay. here so say i am your client and i'm coming in and i want to figure out how to best create a spending plan where do you start and what are your typical words of advice or suggestions when people when that's like sort of their main goal and they come to you so first and foremost, I just start with like, let's do a breakdown of what you think is happening. And it's really just a pen and paper style, like 
Yeah. What do you make every month? Are you paid biweekly? Are you paid weekly? How often are you paid? What's your income? What does that look like? Start with that. Then let's break down like, what do you pay for rent, utilities, car, all that stuff? Like, what do you think you pay in these categories? They write it all down. Numbers don't lie. <laughs> you start to see like, are they over? Are they under? Like I have people, it's so funny. We'll start, we'll do our first budget. We'll sit down and they're like, yep, here's everything. Okay, and then I say, based on the numbers, you should be saving like $5,000 a month. And then they look at me and they're like, well, I don't have $5,000 like <laughs> in my bank account from this month, let alone like 30,000 from the past six months. So there's obviously some discrepancy. And what we have to do is really go through and kind of comb through. I usually only start with the, the previous month. Like I don't wanna go back into the past. Like there's no use digging up like all that information. Like let's just start mm -hmm. with one month, go through last month. So like what we would do today is like go through last month, just see what came out. Where's money going? What happened? Okay. What is consistent as like fixed cost? What are variable costs? And are those things that fluctuate on a monthly basis or are they something that just came up that month in particular? Yeah. And then we just, we go from there and like that's our baseline. And then every month it's just a quick check, checkpoint to say like, all right, what did we spend last month? And what's, what is the next month really supposed to look like? That's so interesting. Do you find, I'm assuming, yeah, like most people are, underestimating their sort of rogue spend a lot oh, yeah. of the times. So it must be a, a good look in the mirror for them to have that initial consult with you. It's such an eye opener for most people of just even like saying like, I never knew I spent this much on food. Oh yeah. Like you have an estimate, you're like, oh, I go to the grocery store and I spend, you know, $300 a week, but then you add it up in your head and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm spending anywhere from 1500 to $2,000 on groceries every month. And I was estimating four hundred dollars, right? Like that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, you're like, um, so there's a little bit of a discrepancy here. Yeah, there's a, there's some money. <laughs> and then something's off. <laughs> Just eleven hundred dollars. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay, so say we figure out what your sort of problem areas are, right? Yep. Like you're spending way too much on your groceries. You're on Amazon, whatever. Where next? Where do you go when it comes to creating a plan? So I'll start to look at like what, like what the categories are if we're really over budget. Like what, like what are some things we can start to like filter out? Like are there things that are really coming through that we don't need, and you're just like miscellaneous, kind of like swiping and not even realizing. And then the goal is to kind of look at all of this and really see if it aligns with your priorities. Yeah. Okay. So now for like people at home, I want to do something a little bit more tangible that they might be able to like visualize or really just see, I think it would be helpful just pretend they have no inner demons of spending demons to okay. combat. Yeah. Perfect world. Let's start with somebody at like a hundred K. Yep. Realistically, if it's like percentages or into boxes, I don't know exactly how you would do it, but where should their money be going? What would your recommendation be? Somebody with 100K is, and you can be like, you know, it's this amount in here, this amount towards this. So I like to start with the retirement piece first, because I think that's the easiest one to, to hit. And I, if we stick with at least starting at 10% going towards retirement, like you're in a good place, you've paid off debt, you have good mm -hmm. savings. If we can hit 10% towards reti retirement, that's awesome. Yeah. After that, 
savings and paying yourself first, I usually like to hit that 10 to 15% as well. I think that's a good starting point to start to say like, yeah, let's put 10 to $15,000 away a year towards whether it's a house or a family or travel or who knows, whatever it is, the Chanel bat, I don't care. Um, (laughs) But I think that's a good starting point. It gives you some flexibility to also just understand like, yeah, months will go up, months will go down. We can dip into that, Mm -hmm. no problem. And then from there, I really don't care whatever the rest of the discretionary spending goes towards. I know there are percentages where people are like, well, don't go over X percentage for your housing or don't go over X percentage for your shopping. We're so freaking different. Like my priorities and your priorities are totally different. Like for me to go in and say like, hey, yeah, you need, you know, 20% only going towards, you know, whatever your fun discretionary shopping, whatever expenses are like, maybe that's not right. Like, yeah, let's figure it out based on you and what your goals are. So it's really more focusing on that 25 to 30% of just savings for retirement and just overall like goal, like short to midterm goals. That mentality is very much appreciated because I think, you know, the old idea of having like no offense, but like the middle-aged white man going over my income and how I spend, I don't think a lot of them, and I might be making generalizations, but would have that same advice for me, right? Like there's, you need to be doing this, you need to be doing that. And so the fact that you can sort of acknowledge that how you want to allocate your money versus me versus Joe Schmo versus whomever is different. And it's okay to have different goals and you'd still be willing to assist getting them there without having with, even though it's not necessarily what you would want, right. Or like what you're looking to do for yourself. That's, I think the biggest obstacle when it comes to, do I need a financial advisor or not? Because if they're just going to tell me to do what I know I'm not going to do or what I don't want to do, what's the point? Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. I've had a lot of people come to me, I think, um, with the housing question of like, how much should I spend on housing? And I'm like, well, I don't care. Like go spend $4,000 a month on like a luxury apartment. If that's what you love and want, like if you want to be in downtown Boston and spending money on some high rise apartment, do it. Yeah. Like, but just make sure the rest of your spending aligns with the fact that you know that you're being heavily invested in your budget within that, you know, living. Well, I mean, gosh, like right now in Boston, it's like 4,000 doesn't even seem that crazy. I feel like it's like 3,000 for like a one bed, one bath in like Jamaica Plain. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, but yeah, I mean, I guess depending, like, do you need to live in the city? Can you live slightly outside the city looking at things like that? And like, where can you save? But if you can afford 4k, no sweat, do it. Yeah. Go for it. Very cool. Adversely, what happens if somebody's in a lot of debt and they come to you and their goal is not just a spending plan and a budget and learning how to save and, you know, paying for all their expenses, but they have to do that and crawl out of a hole. I was there a long time ago when I lived in LA, I had no money to my name and my credit cards were my best friends and I paid for it for years, paying it all off. And it took a lot of work, but I'm curious from your perspective, like is the goal just 
get it off as soon as possible? Is there a long-term plan? How do you advise when someone comes to you in those situations? So I'm in the same boat. Yeah. <laughs> was in a lot of debt, didn't know how to get out of it. Um, I went with the all or nothing route. Yeah. I literally was like living on rice and tuna fish. Like it was oh, like no. whatever was the cheapest option because I literally was shoving everything else towards debt. Looking back on it, that was not the best way to do it. And I think the, the way to start is list out your debts, know your interest rates, know your minimum payments, make sure you have mm. that in order. That's like priority number one. If we can do that, then we can start to organize your credit score, making sure that you are in a good position. And then we can start look at, looking at other options. We can look at balance transfers. We can look at personal loans. We can understand like what makes more sense to pay off first and be aggressive at versus just kind of letting it ride and like, you know, doing what you need to to make the minimum payments. But maybe it isn't a position where you need to be like shoving thousands of dollars a month at it to get it down. Mm -hmm. And I think there are a lot of I want to say like it's like the fire society and fire community that's like very debt averse and it's like yeah. just pay it off just pay it off like as as quickly as possible but that's not always the best option it's also like maybe you are paying off debt and still investing at the same time like that is right. okay and that right. is possible and it's sometimes better to be taking advantage of the market that's making money and you know using that debt as a resource to be able to funnel additional money in other places yeah, I mean, and like in your situation too, right? Like if you are a single mother or if you are, you know, planning for another f expense that you have coming up, it may not be realistic to put any additional or residual like cash that you have laying around into that. You st like you need to save for your emergency fund and things like that, but it it's great to know that like that wouldn't necessarily just be your go-to. Okay, yeah, you're gonna live like shit for four years and you're never gonna have a good meal. Like it, there's ways to to look at it from different angles. Yeah, and looking back on it, it was like that learning lesson of like, that's not the best way to do yeah. it. And it was definitely not a healthy way to interact with money either. Like well, I had yeah. to grow out of a lot of like habits and patterns that I had built up during that time frame, where I was just like hoarding and holding on to money because I was so nervous around it. Um, but it's so true too. I think a lot of us get credit cards when we're 18 years old and we don't always know exactly how they work. And to your point, like, are you just paying the minimum off every month because you're not even touching the yeah. like principal? You yeah. know what I mean? And I think people just aren't educated enough on how to properly use a credit card no. um, and not let the credit card use you. Exactly. So it's tricky. Um, but in terms of like debt, you know, there, we hear about good debt, bad debt. Something like a credit card obviously is is going to be prioritized prioritized over a student loan, right? Like how do people manage which debt to tackle first? Or do you usually recommend that they're sort of giving a fair share or fraction across the board? So I would look at that list as, like as you've listed out your debts and like what the minimum payments and what the interest rates are. I'm okay with anything that's like under 10%. Yeah. It's like, that's manageable, that's doable. It's when it's getting like that 15, 20, 22, some credit cards are at 29% right now. <laughs> like you're looking at that and you're like, all right, let's start to tackle that a little yeah. bit faster. And I like that way of going about it. Cause I, I do think it, it is 
again, like there are some like beneficial things like mindset wise of like doing the debt snowball where it's like you're paying off the least first. But financially, I think it makes more sense to pay off the higher interest rate first. Regardless of what it is. Yeah. That's smart. Yeah. That's very, very smart. Because I, I, I'm glad that you said that because I, I, the reason why I asked that question was actually hoping that you would say that because I think people who don't know enough about this space, yeah. we have this mentality of, Credit cards are bad. Student loans are okay because everybody goes to school and it's like, oh, my car is this, you know, whatever, because I need to drive. And it's really not about what is what it's, it's about what that, that percentage is, because if you think long-term, you know what I mean? And I've seen, like, I've seen car loans at 17% and like you're talking with your buddy and they're like, oh, car loans are fine. Like just let it ride and make the minimum payment. But like, they don't know what your interest rate is. So like you need to be on top of it and looking at your stuff to be able to say like, no, 17% is high. And I need Uh, to like (laughs) either figure out how to refinance that or, you know, start to pay it off faster than other things in my life. Um, you also talked about credit score somewhere within there. And I think that's another thing that we don't talk about enough. We don't talk about our money and how much we make and how we spend it. And we don't talk about our credit scores, but it's a huge determining factor in a lot of things like getting a loan or a house, you know, all these different areas in our lives. And a lot of things come into play when it comes to our credit score is the biggest thing paying off that debt when it comes to tackling and increasing your credit score. Are there different areas that can sort of help? No, I actually, the credit score is like the most ass backwards, like situation (laughs) score that you will ever encounter. If you pay off your car tomorrow, your credit score will drop. Mm, Yeah. So it is like managing, like you do want to make sure you're making all your payments on time. The history and being able to make consistent payments is what is like the biggest factor when it goes into your credit score. Looking at like the length of the time that you've had your credit open. So like I would never cancel a cre- like my longest credit line that I have right now. Like my Bank of America card that I bought or got when I was like in high school that will never be canceled because that's like the one thing in my life that's like I can show and prove history on that card. The other piece is like you have to remember like you are building that credit score for other things in life like your house or yeah. getting a car, refinancing or personal loans or things like that. So just being aware of it. I think the other thing people forget is that like it's okay to check it and like figure out if there's red flags on your credit score. Like National Grid sometimes puts a red flag on your credit score because you missed a payment when you left an apartment or something mm-hmm. like that. I've heard so many people say, well, if I check my credit score, my credit score is gonna, gonna drop or they're gonna put a, you know, a red mark on my, and I'm like, no, checking, <laughs> pulling your credit score is right. different than checking, checking your credit totally score. Different. So it's okay to check your credit score. Yeah, so I am interested in sort of what you just said the, you know, not getting rid of that Bank of America card. I think that when some people finally pay off that credit card, it's like, I want nothing to do with it. And they either let the account close or they, you know, proactively go and close the account because they want nothing to do (laughs) with the credit card afterwards because they're like, oh my gosh, I never want to get myself in that debt again. Would that be something that you would advise against? 
Yes. Like keeping that card open, make a small payment that you can pay right after and still let that balance, you know, be zero, be very little. But you just because you're afraid of this credit card and getting back in debt doesn't mean you should get rid of it. Keeping it open is actually beneficial for you. That's exactly it. Yeah. Um, I think so many people, especially when they're coming from high debt situations, it's like, I never want to yeah. allow myself to get back like, in this they situation. Cut the card they up cut and the they card. <laughs> I mean, you can cut the card, like don't use it. I'd rather have that than you completely closing the card altogether. If that's the route you want to go to, that that might be manageable just until you get into a consistent routine of like, yeah, I feel comfortable with, you know, putting a coffee on it every month and yeah. <laughs> paying it off. And but that's all you really need. It's like that's smart. Pay a coffee. That's yeah, literally all you need it, to do. And you're done. The other cool thing is if you pay your credit card twice a month, it will also raise your credit score. Mm. It's it's a weird thing, but pay it. Don't pay it just like so once. Because it pulls it right after you yeah. pay for it usually, right? So if you do it In twice, two separate chunks, yeah. it looks like you're making like multiple consistent payments over time. That's raise your credit smart. score. Not by a lot, but Hot enough. tip. <laughs> Hot tip. Um, okay, I know we're like getting close to the hour mark here, but I still have a couple questions that I want to run through as well. Yeah. Okay. Oh. The very beginning of the show, you were talking a little bit about like 401k. And I'm curious if, you think like there are ways that people are sort of leaving money on the table or not taking best advantage of our company or corporate benefits like our healthcare and medical benefits or 401k, you know, are there things that we can do to maximize or optimize those? Yes. So I'm going to start by always know your percentage that your company is going to match, match and take that no matter what. I think that again is like, you have to take it. It, even if you're like pulling yourself out of debt or whatever, it's like a three or 4% raise, whatever it is, just make the match. You won't even know the money's gone from your account. Oh yeah. The second thing is a lot of 401ks have really high fees. So a way that we can kind of take some money out of your 401k, we can put it in a traditional or a Roth IRA, invest it there. Most of those, if you know your fees, which is another piece of like working with someone, it's like know your fees put the money there, you're avoiding a lot of those 401k fees. And then if you start to max out that IRA, you can then go back to the 401k afterwards to add some money back in there. Mm -hmm. But one or 2% in fees over 25 or 30 years is like multiple millions of dollars. Wow. Yeah. That really makes you take a cold, hard look at things. For people out there, um, there's traditional and there's Roth. You mentioned like, what's the difference? I know it has to do with taxes, right? Yeah. So I think right now we're in a cool spot where like the Roth option is really cool. So it basically just means that you're paying taxes on it today. You're not getting any tax breaks, but you're putting it into that account. And then as it grows, you no longer will have ever have to pay taxes on that account again. So if your account is five, 10, 15 million at retirement, it's all tax-free at that point. Um, the traditional option is the route of you pay taxes on it today, or you don't pay taxes on it today. Um, you get the tax break when you pay taxes at the end of the year, April 15th, you get that deduction. Um, but then when you go to pull it out in retirement, you will then have to watch your tax bracket and how much you're gonna pay on those that amount. So again, whether it's five, 10, 15, yeah. you're gonna owe whatever your tax bracket is at that point. And are the limits what you can put in 
IRA different based on your income or is that standard across the board? So the Roth does have income limits if you exceed certain amounts, depending on if you're single, married, there's different categories. Um, but the traditional does not have income limits, but you can only put $6,000 a year into your IRAs. Okay. And I know that there are penalties or fees, I think, when you pull out of your 401k, right? Like you're not supposed to pull out of that early. Are those still applicable for an IRA or is it different? Yes. So they still have those retirement kind of bubble, same fees if you pull it out So even if you've been taxed on it, you can still get, like if you do the Roth. So if you do the Roth, the cool option with that is you can pull out what you've put in without that penalty and fee. Okay. Makes sense. There are certain like qualifications of like what, if you're like how you're pulling it out and what you're pulling it out for, but it, it gives you that like a little bit of flexibility to kind of take some of that money back if you need it. Very cool. I don't think people take enough advantage of that. I love the Roth. If you have questions on the Roth, I could go, I could do a whole nother hour <laughs> podcast like, on the Roth. Roth is my middle name. <laughs> I love it. And then um, similarly, like not with our corporate benefits, but like just tax wise, like how many people do you think are just like not taking advantage of certain benefits or I don't know what the right word is, but like tax strategies. Yeah. Like, are we not filling out our taxes properly? Taxes are actually really simple. And if you're a W, if you're a W2, there is not like crazy things you can do. I mean, okay. Kids, mortgage, you know, investing in your IRAs, like those kind of things are easy things you can do to lower your, your taxable income, but it's not like crazy tax advantages. The tax strategies really come into play when you're a business owner. And that's kind of the cool part. If if you have some business ideas in mind, like those are some really cool opportunities to start, you know, figuring out some tax strategies, like working through your budget and with an accountant and a CPA to kind of strategize how you make payments on things. Okay. So for and taxes are something that you would help with though, right? You personally or no? You so don't do tax. I don't do taxes. Okay. I have broad knowledge on the area, but I am not an accountant or, okay. CPA, or a CPA. Okay, fair. I'm, I'm just curious, like how many people would be totally fine doing like the turbo tax because it's just like so straightforward yeah. or how many people really need to go find a specialist or an advisor like in that area. I personally feel like TurboTax does the job. TurboTax is fine. You heard it here first, kids. <laughs> You heard it here first. Okay, this has been so helpful. I have so many more questions, but I would keep you here until February, so or until April 15th, honestly. <laughs> but um, I won't do that to you. But before, I'm going to ask you one more piece of final advice. But before I do that, I want everyone to be able to find you on Instagram if you don't mind. Yeah. What's your Instagram? I am at jen.e.read, R-E-I-D. And is the best way to get in contact with you over DM? Should they visit your website? So if you are ready to go, you can go to my website, which is www.baseplanning.co. It is .co. And there's a link to book to my calendar. You can email me, ask me questions. I'm here for it all. I think that we need to have more resources out there available for people that are just have questions. So I'm totally open to that as well. Much appreciated. Perfect. 
And then the last thing before I let you go is not money related. I always like to ask all of my guests if there was one either general piece of advice for the listeners that you would love for them to just instill into their brains or that one thing that now being a 32 year old woman you wish maybe younger Jen knew Mm. what would your your final your mic drop moment be (laughs) Um, I'd say health is wealth honestly I wish I had prioritized my health way earlier in life and that means like investing in just like my overall personal development and learning, my mindset on things, um, being focused on just taking care of my stress levels. I mean, it it all is just gonna affect your body over the long term. So I think you can't enjoy life, you can't enjoy the wealth that you're building or what you're doing if you're not healthy, so. I could not agree more, especially for our generation. I feel like millennials are stuck in this like toxic, like if you're not busting your ass until the point of exhaustion, you're not doing enough. And it's so unhealthy for us and it's so stressful for us. And like- Pay for it on the other end. (laughs) Yes, like take care of yourself, please. It's okay to like say no to things and opt out of things. It's okay to prioritize what you need. I could not agree more. I could not agree more. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was so helpful. I really appreciate it. It was so great to finally see you in person. Thank you guys for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye.